podcasting to you from Ontario, Canada, the home of hockey and sweet Canadian maple syrup. This is Unmasking COVID-19. The purpose of this podcast is to talk about personal stories during this pandemic. Our names are Ovia, Serena, Victoria, and Wen. And we are your hosts. We are so happy that you're here. Welcome to another episode of Unmasking COVID. This week, we are joined by Malika Rachmanova and Izzy Fincher, who are part of the CU Boulders team into the coronavirus. They are CU Boulder students navigating life in a pandemic, sharing stories and creating community. They have created a community of student curated illustrations, infographics, interviews, essays, and more to explore the effects of COVID-19 pandemic. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you do as a group and your role in the university community? Do you want to start, Izzy, or should I? Sure, I can go first. So we created Into the Coronaverse as a response to the pandemic at the end of uh, the spring semester. And basically it's a fluid, dynamic, creative group. It's a space where any level of commitment and any form of artistic expression is totally welcome. And so since we started the organization, it's kind of filtered down to fewer people who are really committed. And over the summer, we've just been kind of building out our website, building out our Instagram profile, and with a lot of different content with, because our team is so diverse. And so we have, we published some infographics. We've, I've been writing some essays about arts, the arts community in Boulder, and Malika's did the website. So we have a lot of different talents that we've been working on. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I think just, I mean, it started as a vision originally from our faculty advising professor. Her name is Dr. Fisher. Um, and she was very open to like any kind of format of like, how can we document how COVID-19 has changed our lives from all types of angles. Um, and so Izzy is right about the whole, you know, any form of artistic expression from any angle. Cause I think there's a lot of stories that get lost in the background of the primary narrative. Uh, especially, I mean, if you just look at, you know, the political climate now and the social, you know, turmoil, there's a lot of stories that get lost, um, in the background. So I think it's important that we have a role uh, in bringing those to the forefront and encouraging some productive public discourse or awareness uh, about it. Uh, and just how the pandemic has changed our lives and our communities and how we'll continue to change our lives and communities, you know, like how, how are we gonna come back from this? I don't know, like how our lives change now forever. Are we gonna go back to pre-COVID times? Who knows, so, yeah. I think um, that's very interesting. So I'm just wondering, why do you think it's so important to tell these stories, especially during this time, and telling these stories through art and expressing um, these stories through art? I guess I can take that one first. So the arts industry has been hit the hardest, I would say. Um, I mean, every industry has been hit very hard in terms of jobs and economic losses, but nothing as directly as art, because most art, like in terms of music, theater, film, is done in person, and part of the art itself is the in-person experience and the community. So when we can't have that and when it's online, it's hard to find what art 
is and what art means to people because it's still very impactful and during the pandemic social distancing people are watching so many more movies engaging so much more because they have more time but i just really wanted to take the angle of how how the arts is adapting and evolving and still creating a powerful experience for people even though it's not the same experience so i'm just kind of looking at it from that kind of macro level and i think that the arts is so powerful and it draws us together as a community so when we're creating this space where people can express themselves in any way through video through essays through um, all these different mediums it's kind of a way for art to continue to evolve as well uh i mean i think that izzy's like projects are very much in the in the art realm which again i think we have a few maybe two or three members who are also art focused um, in terms of how COVID has affected uh, that sphere of the world. Um, I think that I was always more focused on how it has affected um, one, people's mental health, um, their daily lives, how they go about their daily lives. And I think it's important to, I guess, lately I've been switching my focus more towards university specific, um, how COVID-19 has clashed with that. Um, and I guess that brings me to the paper that we submitted, um, which you guys, I guess, may or may not know about. We posted some snippets of it on our website. Um, but we submitted, it was three members. So it was me, uh, one of our other members, Mike Tran, and our faculty advisor, Dr. Dr. Fisher. Uh, we all, all three of us collaborated on a submission to a journal, um, anthropological research journal. And because it's still in the peer review process, I can't speak too, too much in detail about it. Um, but the gist of it is that I talk about my personal experience, Mike talks about his personal experience and how COVID-19 has changed that. And then Dr. Fisher uh, intersperses that with extrapolation and a lot of anthropological analysis. Uh, and then really just in, in, to endeavor to answer how, and in some ways why uh, the pandemic has caused the college culture in the U.S. to clash so harshly with um, the, how the pandemic has changed our lives. It's thrown a wrench into it, right? I mean, think about it. If you're 20 years old or in your 20s, you know, this is the time of your life, right, where you peak, <laughs> you, have, you get to explore, you know, who you are, what kind of human being you want to be, how you want to contribute to your community. Um, and then, you know, it's your 20s and that's it. There's nothing else. And I think that we are raised to believe that we are entitled to this experience uh, from the moment that we are born and have this path to college, we are entitled to these four or five years of self-discovery and self-exploration. And so the nature of the pandemic, of course, is that there's so much, so many social things that we can't do anymore. And so people are often feeling like, university students especially, are feeling like they're running out of time. They're feeling like this experience is being stolen from them. Uh, and so I think that's, we, in the paper, you know, we talked about that that's the source of a lot of the tension between administrations and institutions and uh, the young adult demographic. They just can't seem to agree uh, on one way to handle it, one way that makes, or at least one compromise. So that was the gist of the paper um, that we submitted. And it's still in peer review, so hopefully it goes through. But I think it's extremely, I guess, important to to introspect because we are college students all of us and it's extremely important to you know look inside of ourselves and say like okay uh why do i feel like this pen like how, how is this pandemic affecting me how is it going to affect me in the future and how does it affect my community stuff like that
I think both of you touched on some very important topics. Isabella, I think um, art is very important in um, how we remember this pandemic because art is something that connects all of us. Um, be, besides just race and gender, art is something that unites us all. And Malika, um, I think it's very interesting um, how you um, really went into the root of what is causing this disruption amongst the youth um, with regards to the virus. So um, I'm just wondering, how, are, how is the youth, how are university students adapting to this? Are they adapting? I'll let you have that one, Izzy, for now, if you're able to answer it. Well, I guess specifically in the U.S. and specifically in Boulder, it kind of shows who is mature and who is not there yet because um, people who are more mature and who realize that their actions impact their community, impact community health, they're taking this seriously. And I know specifically just from my community at CU, which is the music community, where that's particularly dangerous because a lot of people sing and play wind instruments. And so that's, we have to be super, super careful. And I would say that there is a subset of the community that is being very careful and takes it very seriously. But on the other hand, I'm also um, a journalism major and that community is very different. Um, it's a lot of people who like to go to parties and who like to uh, just hang out. And so this has affected them very strongly. And it's kind of shown that divide of they're maybe not as mature and they're not ready to deal with the difficult parts of this pandemic. And like, I know so many journalism kids who have gotten COVID from, I mean, not just journalism, but just a lot of this, these majors who are maybe more extroverted, more outgoing. So I think it really creates divisiveness among these two groups of people because they're the responsible kids who want to be as safe as possible and the people who just want that college experience. And I've heard people say that it's caused like some rifts in friendships because someone's trying to be fun and someone's trying to be responsible. So I think it really depends on people's personalities, their upbringing, their sense of community and responsibility. But the issue is that even if just a few people are irresponsible, it affects the whole community. And CU had to close um, for, it'll be about three weeks. Um, so it's been two weeks already since quarantine began and we'll be opening up on Wednesday. And I mean, most people are being responsible and most people were taking this seriously, but that small minority that wasn't, it really impacts us. So I think we're learning a lot about what it means to be a college student through this experience. Yeah, Izzy is absolutely right. Um, I think one of the greatest challenges uh, that we as a young adult demographic is facing right now is not putting ourselves first for once. You know, I mean, we, come to college and this is, I talked about this earlier, you know, this is our experience. We're entitled to it. We were raised to take what's ours, right? And so now we're here and for once we have to think about, okay, now I have to socially distance. Now I have to think about how my actions impact my community. Now I have to think about, okay, if I want to go out with my friends, I shouldn't. Not that I can't, I shouldn't, right? Uh, just, you know, it's hard, I think. And it's, as you know, part of that demographic, of course, I can see where a lot of these people are coming from. I can't justify their actions, of course, 
because it doesn't affect just them. You know, it's extremely selfish. But I, I can see where they're coming from because as part of the demographic where, you know, you have such a low rate of, there's just a low risk, right, to, for you to die from COVID, you know, I, it's, so, it's, so, it's almost human to be like, okay, then whatever, <laughs> right? Like, I'm, not, I'm just going to dismiss it. So again, I think Izzy made a good point in terms of uh, it depends on your upbringing and your sense of community and responsibility. And I think that this pandemic just came at a just really interesting time, you know, in our uh, socio-political climate uh, where, you know, lately in the past four or five years, it's all about the individual, all about the self, you know, take care of yourself, do whatever you want, you know, live your best life, all that kind of stuff that's been I think on the upwards trend lately. And so this pandemic, it really just threw like a perfect wrench into <laughs> everything that this community had or everything that our generation and our college at CU Boulder and perhaps in other universities as well around the country have uh, grown into, have developed into lately. So, yeah. Going off from that, that makes me think about something I was studying in my, one of my media ethics classes, which is like technological determinism, is how our technology shapes our values and our ethics. And I think just as Malika was saying, it's shown us that we maybe don't have as strong of a moral and ethical culture as we felt that we might have. And potentially the rise of social media, especially um, Instagram and that me culture, that egotistical, everybody cares about everything I do every single minute of the day, wanting those likes kind of really puts us focusing on ourselves and not focusing on how we interact with others and not caring as much about other people. And so, I mean, it's a trend that's been going on for a long time, but surely it's gotten more and more intense and people are more and more invested in social media and in technology. And I think this, the way the United States has responded, um, I mean, it's, it's so bad compared to every other country. And it's kind of showing the weaknesses in our society. Um, in the, I mean, with Trump, that was already showing divisiveness and we were already kind of just splitting apart as a nation. And this really, I think, has cemented that, especially for the younger generation. Yeah. Yeah. No, Izzy, you make a great point about the political divide that was already there. <laughs> yeah. No, the pandemic falls into these fault lines that just, just like make, make larger cracks. Uh, you know, the, the two party system uh, <laughs> and just like the nature of like what, how our president is, is extremely divisive. Uh, and we can't, you know, we can only control that to a certain extent as college students, right? Of course, voting is very important. So whoever's listening, if you're over 18, go vote. <laughs> um, always go vote. But I don't know. Like I said before, it fell into a time, I think, that it was already, we were already basically teetering <laughs> on the edge of some kind of like massive uh, up, uprooting, I think, of, of society, of, of our daily lives. And the pandemic was just... I wouldn't even want to say like a cherry on top. It was like a sledgehammer on top. <laughs> so, Yeah, so definitely a lot of issues that we're facing that are very new and that for a lot of us, we handle very differently and some in good ways and some not so good, which is just the nature of how these challenges will be dealt with. But I think right now, uh, how do you think really going back to um, your projects in, into the Chronoverse, how do you think that has really 
influence your community and that has been sort of like a how do you think that has perhaps made you more of like a spokesperson or more um of an influence to your community do you think that's a great question um we are still very new and i think just just recently like a couple of days ago we were just registered as an official uh university club uh, or student organization i think is the official term uh and so the reason we did that is so that we could have more credibility and more exposure to how um, we disperse our information and our stories and our message, right? So I think to answer your question, I'm gonna go kind of a different way and I'm gonna answer how we plan, because uh, again, we're still new, how we plan to uh, tell people about our message and get it out there, raise public awareness. And I mean, one of the, primary things that we've been thinking about in our meetings is actually collaborating with the honors department because they have a lot of talks and they have presentations um, of various kinds. It's the honors department. It's a wide range of majors and disciplines. And so is, so are we, right? So I think uh, that's definitely the direction we're going to go um, harder virtually, but whatever, whatever we do what we can basically. And that's what we're planning on doing. All right. Amazing. So um, definitely there's a lot, that we can look forward to. And there's really a lot that has come out of this pandemic as well, where people have really created a lot more projects and have started to learn to become perhaps more creative in a more limited environment, one could say. And I think that's really interesting. Um, is there anything you'd like to share about um, particular um, projects that have come out that you found that like you've mentioned before the paper that you've recently created but are there any other projects you'd like to share that have recently come out because of inspiration because of the pandemic um i can take this one in terms of my project specifically so what i've been focusing on is right now i have two pieces that are totally done the first piece was an interview with jordan holloway who is a cu composer um, he had a 45-minute symphony that he composed a year or two ago, and he really wanted to get a reading, couldn't get a reading because of all the institutions and stuff at school. And so when the pandemic started, he decided to record it all virtually, do those cool virtual orchestra um, piecing together. And it was 45 minutes though, so that's really impressive to get an entire orchestra to record their pieces, then put it all together. And so that was a really cool project um, for a student to do, because I know a lot of professional organizations are doing that. And then I later had another friend who's a composer at um, Indiana University, and he's also doing a similar thing. So this really caused me to think about virtual premieres of new music. And so that's something that I have my my second essay on. And I think that's something that's going to really transform the classical music industry because classical music has a lot of barriers to entry. Obviously, they're the, they're the big ones like education and so much practice time that it's very hard to be at the top of the industry. But especially for composers, it's hard to get readings and performances of larger works. Like chamber things, you can ask a few friends, but to get a reading of a larger work, it can be thousands of dollars to hire the musicians to get the recording equipment. And so I think that this is the, all these virtual performances might even continue beyond COVID. And I think that it's really reshaping um, 
diversity in classical music and newer voices because usually classical music is Bach and Mozart over and over and we just see all these same things. So I think that at least in music, classical music, um, diversity is something that we're going to see more of online when there's less expenses and less, um, just yeah, less, less expenses like financially as well as time. And so that's just another angle that I thought was really interesting that I've been exploring. And I can't wait to put on the website, by the way, Izzy's work is always amazing. Um, but the other thing that I also have yet to debut on the website is a documentary by one of our other members. His name is Rico Corrale. Uh, he made, I think it was like a one or two minute documentary about his experience the first uh, week of classes hybrid in-person because we have this like in-person model at CU Boulder that's interspersed with some hybrid and remote as well. Uh, basically, they're trying to dip into all the the pots um, by, you know, using using as many aspects as they possibly can to try to make it as normal, you know, produce some sense of normalcy. Um, but anyway, Rico made a documentary about his in-person experience um, for the first week, and that included classes, that included going to the gym, that included eating at the dining hall, as well as uh, visiting the typical party places to see how many people are not following social distancing. So there's an aspect of that, like more negative aspect in that documentary as well. Um, so that is something I need to put on the website. I cannot wait to do that. Yes, also a hard hitting project. Yeah, I think all the projects that you guys are working on are very interesting and very diverse in that sense. Um, I saw on your um, website that you have an article about mental health. So could we talk more about that? How has um, this virus really impacted um, mental health, youth mental health, and yeah. So that was my uh, original project, my original idea is what I wanted to talk about. How the pandemic has kind of exacerbated, you know, downward trends in uh, mental health, or at least exacerbate some like stigmas, and or you know mental health is very much correlated with the state of the economy and there were i mean it's still not great but there were a few months where it was really really bad really bad for small businesses really bad for essential non-essential workers um and uh, you know their, their livelihoods were falling apart there was so much uncertainty because you know this pandemic at an unprecedented level like this with you know poor logistical awareness and miscommunication from you know every administration in the in the entire country um it was terrifying and so I have a, basically, I, what I had on that page is a lot of trends, statistical trends about how, basically to see, has COVID, the onset of COVID around, you know, mid-March and April, uh, has it changed how much people, the people's optimism, people's outlook, um, global happiness levels, stuff like that. Um, and I think, you know, it's pretty clear that, yes, it has in some ways, um, but there are limitations to there are limitations to using statistical analysis because it all depends on self-report, right? You, you tell the poll or the interviewer or whatever, how you're feeling. And it's so much subjectiveness that it's, it doesn't tell a full story. That's why I think it is so important to also have a diverse amount of other projects on the website that give a fuller picture, a more complex picture of how life has changed due to COVID-19, not just statistical analysis. That's only an aspect. It's only a factor in describing how our lives are now. Can I ask a, can I ask a question? Cause I know you guys are in a different country. Um, I, I don't know if it's like 
related or whatever, but how how's Canada handling this in I general? At least your Canada, I think Canada has done a great job mm-hmm. um with containing the virus. Um however our cases are rising. So especially in 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 Ontario, they're not as much as America. I think um the highest we've had in the last couple of days is maybe 700 cases, which is nothing compared to the cases in America, but it's frightening because they're rising. And I think 60% of the cases are um, are those that are, I think, under 30 or 40. So it's very concerning because um, like you guys talked about, um, there are so many young people that are not following the guidelines. They're out partying and um, going into pubs without social distancing. So that is frightening. But I think compared to the rest of the world, Canada has done a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. And they've provided so much support to small businesses, um, students. So yeah, I think I'm proud of what Canada has done. That's awesome. Okay, uh, I'm also gonna just mention a bit, just from a bit more of a critical standpoint, I think there's a lot that we still could improve on. Of course, like there are less cases in Canada than compared to the United States, but we also have a smaller population to begin with. So um, it's also looking at that, I think there were still a lot of ways in which we could have perhaps suppress the resurgence of a second wave because that's what we're getting into right now we're getting into the uh, second peak right now um as our cases are still gonna continue to rise so and as well like even though more of the cases that are new are because of are coming from people who are under the age of 30 um another thing we need to consider is that this is primarily because they're the working class and it's because a lot of these people are going to be like your frontline workers, the people who have to go out and work outside, and they'll be more exposed to the virus to begin with. So there's also that aspect that we need to consider. And so I don't know exactly what the statistics are, but I'm pretty sure that right now it's just we need to consider um, continuing to uh, remain having strict uh, strict uh, procedures in place and having uh, eventually I think like we might very well have to have our initially strict procedures where we have to be quarantined at home um, if it gets back to that situation as it was in uh, earlier this year so I I really do I am really afraid that it'll get back to that situation and uh, that's really my concern right now but the only thing we can do right now is just follow social distancing procedures and that's the best we could do really. Yeah, now that's a fair concern. And you made a good point how, you know, the, the statistics of like most cases are caused by people under 30 does not tell the full story. You're right that most of them are actually the demographic that is essential workers on the front lines, constantly exposed to the virus. And I mean, I think, you know, in the United States there, you know, there's been uh, racial equality talks, you know, the George Floyd incident and everything, everything that followed um, the Black Lives Matter movement, all of that, uh, it, it ties so well, at least, and I mean, well is not the right word, but it ties interestingly into the pandemic uh, because it really also emphasizes, you know, already 
wide socioeconomic gaps between groups uh, in many communities, right? Most essential workers working at, you know, the grocery stores, uh, gas stations, you know, places where people come all the time, uh, they are usually members of minority communities, right? And so what happens is that those people are now more affected by the virus because are these more effective, have higher, uh, higher casualty or higher fatality rates due, due to the virus because they are constantly exposed to it because they are part of minority communities. And because they are part of minority communities, they also have less access to healthcare, less trust in the healthcare system, less trust, uh, excuse me, less trust in uh, authority and just everything in general. I think it's creating, you know, compounding and really, really showing the stuff that is already broken in our society. Hopefully, you know, people will be able to read it just like we are, um, you know, politically and people who have a hand in influencing how our society works. Hopefully they can read the situation just like we can, so. Yeah, I think the biggest difference with America versus other countries is just our culture. And at this point, I would say our main issue is just being so stubborn. We wanna do what we wanna do and no one's gonna tell us what to do. And this has been such a strange uh, difference for me because my dad lives in Shanghai, China. I lived there for four years. And so seeing how they've handled it versus how we've handled it is just mind blowing because um, in China, obviously it's an authoritarian regime. So when they say, don't go out, social distance, you're gonna do that because you don't wanna like go to prison. Um, and there's just a lot more control over the society. And in America, our freedom, which is one of our most powerful assets, and it leads to so much creativity, so much technological innovation. I mean, especially in colleges, where it's just a time of freedom and expression of ideas. And that's great, but it just does not work when there is a pandemic. And that's the time when you need authoritarian control. And even though we're a democracy, that's the time when you have to Basically, it's like a wartime where when they reduce uh, your freedoms, and that's something that hasn't happened, is that we still, these are all recommendations. They can't make you wear a mask. They can't do any of these things. And they aren't, even though they maybe should be. So I think the main, yeah, the main aspect of our culture, that's such a big part of who we are that we can't really just change on a dime is really hurting us in a way, which is ironic because it's what led to our rise. But right now, the way that people are viewing freedom is, is becoming an issue because I think freedom should be, I mean, it's freedom can be malleable. It's not always just what I want to do. It can be other things too. It can be how, um, like, I will be free from fear. And I think that if we reframed and thought about freedom in a different way, it could potentially be better in this pandemic, but Americans are stubborn. So we're gonna stick with, I do what I want. And that's, that's difficult in this time. I mean, I agree with that. There's, everyone has the right to, it was at the most basic level, right? Life, liberty, and happiness, and the pursuit of happiness. But you cannot use your rights to take away somebody else's rights. Um, that's not, that's illegal. <laughs> that's not, that's not the spirit of it. Right. And that's actually, you will go to jail for that. Uh, and so I think, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that punishing people or again, using their right to go out without a mask to take away somebody else's right to life. I think it's a, it's a whole, it's a whole, uh, 
whole conversation to be had um, about in what way is the political uh, the political path we're taking? Is it is it you know how is it clashing with what we perceive as freedom? So yeah, yeah, um, that's that's really very important. So I think going back to the political unrest and the uproar in the country, why is it important for young people to have their voices heard, get involved, and I guess be involved in seeing the change that they want for the future? And how can young people go about doing that? I can, I guess I can take that one at first. I think there's so many different ways that young people can stay involved. There's the obvious ways of going to protests, going to demonstrations, being active on social media. Um, and I think that that's very powerful for people who are don't have health conditions that would put them at risk for COVID and who are more that outgoing, strong activist personality. And they definitely should do that. And we need that. We need journalists to document what they're doing, um, how the government is being, uh, is trying to suppress freedom of speech and demonstration. So that's definitely an aspect that's really important. But I think that there are a lot of people who don't have that personality. Personally, I just would never go to something like that um, because it can turn violent. It can be overwhelming for someone who's sensitive. So I think that people who are in that second camp um, can find a lot of ways as well to be um, active in the fight for diversity, specifically in classical music. What we've been doing is working on diverse programming. Um, like orchestras are totally white and classical music is so white. And with this, with BLM and with these issues around diversity and inclusion, classical music really has to take a hard look at itself and say, why are we so white? And how can we not only change the programming, but change the institutions because we learn music by white European composers who are usually male and then the top levels of orchestra like governance who are choosing the repertoire also have that same makeup so for us it's kind of starting with how can we include in music and I think that's a really powerful way to start um, for artists and for people who aren't artists as well I think they can get involved in their community in other ways like through being active on social media and through engaging in difficult conversations. It doesn't always have to be activism. It doesn't always have to be big, but if we start small and are really willing to listen to the experiences of minority communities and how we can support them, I think that's the way to start. I think Izzy hit all, all the points, all the important points. Um, I would just want to add, you know, in addition to uh, supporting minority communities uh, in terms of like the racial side of it, racial quality side of it, also, you know, having a part in curbing the amount of misinformation that's out there, you know, fact checking what you post on social media, making sure that it's factually correct, scientifically correct, supported by research peer review sources, reputable sources, I should add, um, and then spreading it and telling people about it and encouraging just have a part in in whatever that has to do has to have a part in the truth is what i'm trying to say yeah i totally agree with that coming from the journalism background 
I'm studying a lot about the history of digital journalism and how user-generated content has been great for journalism in a lot of ways, getting things faster, more efficient, getting more perspectives, but it can be so dangerous because if people don't have that background in fact-checking and journalistic ethics, there's so much incorrect information that can be spread. And that's really dangerous in a pandemic, especially with in a political election that's happening right now. So people really need to not only verify their information, that's like the first step, but they need to think of where the information is coming from, because you can have the same set of data, same set of statistics interpreted totally differently. So people need to think about the framing. So how the questions are asked and how that affects the way that we even see the issue. And then we need to say, what is being covered in the news? Because that's already a bias. Like we see, even if journalism tries to be objective and the news tries to be objective, the stories that we're telling are only like a tenth, one one thousandth of what's out there. So we have to think about what isn't being covered and what we need to speak out about, as well as being um, aiming for the truth always. Okay, amazing. So uh, thank you very much for joining us today in this podcast. Uh, we all really enjoyed listening to you guys talk about the projects that you have worked on, any new projects that are potentially coming out soon. And we are very excited to hear more from you guys. So for all listeners here, uh, the information for Into the Coronaverse will be linked in the description box below and you guys can check them out. You can check out their website. And thank you for listening.